Hello and welcome to Further Up and Further In, a podcast. This is now episode 25 of the podcast in which we will continue our intermission from Prince Caspian to bring uh, never-before-aired material from a different recording on education and Christianity. Hi, my name is Matthew Huff, and welcome back to our podcast here at Landmark Christian School. Last week, we started by talking about what I believe one of the most important elements of education to be, and that is the right ordering of our desires, that what we love and what we desire, what we pursue is aligned correctly uh, so that we can flourish as a human being and become what we were ultimately meant to be. Uh, This concept in Latin is the ordo amoris, the order of our loves. And Augustine, in his book, The Confessions, talks about this in one of the most famous statements that comes at the beginning of the book, where he says that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, meaning in Christ. And that sense of restlessness lies at the very root of who we are as people, uh, that we are all bent and broken and cloaked in sinfulness. And uh, as Paul says, we all fall short of the glory of God. And John Milton, the poet, uh, author of Paradise Lost, said that the end of education, the entire point of education is to repair the ruins of our first parents. That all of us in the process of education are trying to repair the ruins of Eden. That we are trying to rebuild what has been broken. We are trying to train up saints in righteousness. And what that looks like is ordering their affections in the right direction that we provide them with glimpses of what is true and good and beautiful so that uh, their imaginations and their hearts can be awakened to wonder, to be astonished, to be in awe. And out of that position of wonder and out of that position of thrill and enchantment and glory, they are able to rightly love the right things and to hate the wrong things. They are able to think on what is true and noble and lovely and to think God's thoughts after him and thus are positioned to do what Milton said, to repair the ruins of our first parents. Uh, He goes on to say, by regaining to know God aright and out of that knowledge to love him and to imitate him. That this is the whole point of what we do, that we are trying to awaken the imagination from its slumber out of its stupor so that we can, with full open eyes and ready hearts, pursue everything God is in creation to track the sunbeam back up to the sun, as C.S. Lewis talks about in his essay, Meditation on a Toolshed, that we are able to desire the right things. And last week I mentioned the passage in John where Jesus asks his followers what they are seeking. And that lies at the very root of what we are to be about as a school, as, a, as families, um, and as a body of believers, as the church, that indeed to remember always who he is, who God is, to look full in his wonderful face, as the hymn says. And then out of that desire, out of that reorientation, to go toward the task of repairing the ruins, rebuilding the kingdom. Uh, cultivating the ground. It's no accident that Adam, the first task, the primary task he was given in Eden is to cultivate, to bring culture, 
to till the ground, to create something beautiful out of this land that he's been given. And the charge is no different for us. That even in this bent and fallen world, that our task always is to look full in his wonderful face, to reorient ourselves toward the Lord. And out of that desire, out of that awakened capacity for wonder and awe and imagination and beauty, we go toward the task at hand, whether that's banking or law or medicine or engineering or poetry or education, whatever it is that our job is, we do it all to the glory of God as a means of repairing what has been lost. Um, James K.A. Smith, the same author we quoted last week in his book, You Are What You Love, he talks about education being more involved with formation rather than information, that it's less about facts being downloaded into a database that we call the brain, and it's more about forming people, creating persons, partnering with God to build a human being mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and that we then send them out into the world to go about the task of enculturating, cultivating the ground, repairing the ruins, all to the glory of God, out of this wellspring, this abundance of joy and passion and virtue that has been uh, hopefully embedded in them along the way by great teachers, great texts, good stories, and so on. Um, Part of that process involves uh, something I've mentioned along the way so far, and that is having our minds and our hearts awakened to the capacity to imagine, to wonder, to stand in awe, uh, that one of the design features of being human is the capacity to be astonished. Uh, Dr. Steve Turley says that uh, that is our fundamental position. We were made to be astonished. We were made to worship. We were made to adore and to ascribe beauty and praise to something. And of course, in our sinfulness, we create all sorts of idols to occupy that ground. We are narcissists. We worship ourselves or we worship approval. We worship time. We worship our children. But the fact that we worship, the fact that we are astonished and amazed and wondrous uh, is part of what it means to be a human being. And that that wonder, uh, Socrates said, wisdom begins in wonder, that that is a starting point for any kind of meaningful growth toward um, improvement, toward glory, toward uh, a life of thriving and a life of success and a life of uh, joy and satisfaction, that you begin in wonder and out of that grows uh, the right affections, the right desires. Uh, in, in fact, Proverbs chapter one talks about this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, that this wondrous, numinous, uh, goosebump forming uh, astonishment at the glory and the beauty of God is our starting point, which is true of our own development as people. When we come into the womb, oh, I'm sorry, when we come into the world from the womb, uh, we don't come with this hyper-rational desire for facts. We don't come with this need to scrutinize and analyze and investigate. We come with this wide-eyed readiness for this incredible universe. And we must learn to take our steps. We must learn to chew our food. We must, along the way, grow what we need to, to accept it bit by bit. But our starting point is one of absolute overwhelming wonder. 
And it's no different with our rebirth. When we are born again, we are born again into what Paul says is the incomprehensible mysteries of who God is, that we are invited uh, further up and further in, as Lewis says in Narnia. We are invited to go further into the person and character of God by starting in wonder, starting with the imagination, starting with an open humility to recognize that we are not God and that we are not good and that we are in need of wisdom and grace and joy and passion and uh, a flourishing life and that that comes through uh, a step-by-step invitation to discover the glory of God as he reveals it to us. Proverbs says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to find it out. And that, in my mind, that sounds like a motto for a school, that we are kings seeking to find out the glory that God has hidden in every single square inch of this universe. And that process that begins in wonder, it begins in amazement, grows the kind of person who is able to repair the ruins of Eden, who is willing to bravely nobly, courageously go about the business of bringing light into a dark world because they've tasted and seen the glory of God uh, bit by bit as they are able to and as they grow up into it. This capacity to recognize, to see, to experience that sort of transcendent glory, that sort of wonder is captured beautifully in one of the books of the Narnia series that Lewis wrote, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's one of my favorites. And right near the end of that book, the children who are invited into Narnia, Eustace and Edmund and Lucy, uh, they stumble up, they're, they're sailing with Prince Caspian, King Caspian at this point, uh, through all the lone islands. It's this high seas adventure story in Narnia. And they happen upon this island where the children meet a star named Ramandu. Uh, and they are, uh, of course, as any of us would be, overwhelmed by the uh, lumin- illuminated beauty of the star, just how otherworldly and supernatural and radiant it is. And Eustace, the rational boy from England, says, in our world, a star is just a burning ball of gas. And Ramandu the star responds to him and says, even in your world, that is not what a star is, but simply what it is made of. And it's one of the most uh, beautiful and most engaging lines in all of Narnia where Ramandu says, there is a supreme difference between what you are made of and what you are. That I'm sitting here recording this podcast and I am made of skin and bones and organs and a mouth and a tongue. But that is not what I am. What I am is an image bearer of God, a child of the King. I am so many desires and fears and ambitions and loves swirling together in this beautiful dance between soul and body. That is not what I am, skin and bones and blood. That's just what I'm made of. And there's this great tension that's, that arises there where what we learn in school and what we pursue in life, it's good for uh, buying houses and arranging mortgages and having car payments and it's good for scheduling. And, but 
what you are goes so much further than that. And it takes an imaginative leap to see it. It takes a moment of faith to look beyond the physical, look beyond the material or the practical of a thing and begin in wonder. Begin with the assumption that every single person you meet is an immortal, as Lewis says. You have never met a mere mortal. You have never met simply a a physical entity that evolved to be here. You are interacting with, gossiping about, confiding in immortal creatures. And that, in order to start there, you have to have a capacity for wonder and for imagination to see beyond what a thing is made of, to actually see what it is. Uh, before that moment, when the three children meet Ramandu's daughter, who is also a star, she's this beautiful woman who approaches them in this glittering blue dress. There's a line there right at the end of that description where uh, Lewis, just in one of the most startling but glorious passages says, and when they looked at her, they thought they had never before known what beauty meant. And it's just such an arresting line that when they looked at her, they thought they had never before known what beauty meant. That somehow they were able to see beyond the physical, beyond the material, beyond just the thing as it appears. And they have been given eyes to see what it really is. It's like when Jesus tells his parables, he says, this is for those who have ears to hear, who can not just look at the simple parable of a son or a lost sheep or a lost coin, but are able to hear the true story, the story behind the parable, the real depth of the thing. And that is one of our high aims in education is to equip students, to equip our children with the capacity for wonder, the eyes to see beyond just the mere definition of a thing or the mere appearance of a thing, but to actually look through, to look beyond what it is made of toward what it is in its most crucial, in its most glorious and fundamental reality. Thank you again for uh, tuning in, and we uh, will... Have another episode up and running next week.